Here we go. Okay. I just think that's the, the cutest sound really is like when babies, when they struggle, like, uh, like that's just the cutest thing ever. <laughs> I mean, cause I don't know. It's so human. Um, I love it. Okay. Let me check the anonymous questions about anything. You just want to talk Mother Teresa. I could do that all night. Nope, nothing. All right. Um, so solidarity. Um, solidarity is just like has pretty much what you would think. Um, it is that idea when Jesus um, was pretty groundbreaking to say, love thy neighbor. And someone was like, well, who is my neighbor? And then told the parable of the good Samaritan. And we hear this in our modern ears who, you know, Christ has changed the world so much that even people that don't love Jesus are like, yeah, other people are important. doesn't matter what nation you're from. That wasn't around before Jesus. Jesus was the first one to say, like, where you're from doesn't matter. You are a human, and that's what matters. So everyone, like, he's changed the world so much that even the average person who doesn't know Jesus is like, yeah, it doesn't matter what country you're from. But again, that was Jesus because his, his discussion on solidarity. Um, so when he was asked or challenged about neighbor, the reason this was a problem was because, um, okay, so placeion, so if you know your Greek alphabet, pi, lambda, eta, sigma, iota, omicron, nu, so anyway, placeion. So neighbor had this connotation of nearness, of next to. And so the Old Testament had this view of neighbor meaning anyone who was like essentially my family or related by blood, people of the Hebrew race or Hebrew commonwealth. That was the neighbor in the Old Testament. And so what you did was you took care of your neighbor and everyone else was your enemy. And this was a very common theme. Where you're from mattered, who your parents were mattered. But in the New Testament, Jesus clarified that neighbor means any other human we encounter irrespective of race or religion. And so he took down the divide that we humans had naturally put up. Um, division is something that is, you know, it's diabolical. Diabolical literally means to cast, uh, cast apart. So Diablos is really one who throws apart or one who tears apart. So another name for the devil. But it's very human to kind of draw lines in the sand of you're from this or your blood is this, then you're over there, I'm over here. But Christ was the one to say like, no, like, tear down the divide, we're all in the same boat. Um, so for Christ to really talk about neighbor uh, and neighborhood um, was really talking about solidarity. Um, sometimes there's memes in these because uh, I, te I taught juniors and then I just stole the slides. And um, that's the only way you can get juniors to like keep looking up at your slides every now and then. Um, it was just something. So solidarity consists of attitude of seeing another neighbor as your neighbor, no matter what. So what we're studying demands to be led by solidarity, okay? So bonds, and I don't mean this in an in a, in a interdependence. I don't mean this in a bad way. Uh, codependency is a 
is a problem. That's where it's an unhealthy relationship. But interdependence means that we do not become so isolated um, as individuals. Like we are concerned with our neighbors. Um, this is something that's changed a lot, I think, um, over the last um, how many ever decades. There was this one comedian who talked about like when the when the doorbell rang for our grandparents. When the doorbell rang for our grandparents, the grandparents would say like, "Oh, I think we have company. Go get go get the cake the the cake that we have for company out, right?" Because like someone would randomly, "Oh, who's that? Like, make sure we get something for them." And then with our parents, it was like, you know, who's that? Like, and, and it's concern. And it's like, I don't know, and suspicion. And then like, you know, kind of my generation, the doorbell rings and we pretend not to be home. Um, it's just changed. It's just changed so much from like, oh, the doorbell. Like, we better better be good hosts. Um, yeah, so it is, it, it's been a change where we, I think we've lost a lot of solidarity Everyone ha has a very interesting story if you just are willing to enter into their lives. And I think that's the desire that we need to rekindle a little bit. And that's only done through solidarity, okay? So there's solidarity. Um, here, uh, this has a different one. It's a fabric for authentic relationships. It's integral to Catholic social teaching, view of social and political organizations. The interdependence among human beings compels people to love one another for the common good. When it's fostered through communities, it allows members to achieve their full potential, embracing each other's rights, responsibilities, and dignity. So kind of take that joke about generations and the doorbell to heart and say like, do I kind of have that within myself to, to just be like, oh, I don't, I'm doing my own thing. Like, I don't care what you're, you're doing over there. Um, but I don't know. But I, but still healthy boundaries. Don't let people like you know always take your your food when they just randomly visit. So, yeah, solidarity. Um, last last uh, last of the three, and then you see like we're gonna go to four key principles, and then who are the poor? Subsidiarity. Um, this one is very interesting. Uh, subsidiarity. Um. You would not think that this comes from the church or Jesus. That was kind of fun. Um, the church or Jesus. There we go. Um, but subsidiarity, it's it's like in our lives, there are different groups. You know, there's a group that can help you, that you should look to for help. There's your group where it's like, I take care of this. There are groups below you that it's like, I can help them. You know, we, we talk about the poor, preferential treatment for the poor, like they might be quote unquote below you in a structure system. And it's like, okay, they can look to you for help. And then if you need help, you should be able to look to someone for help and kind of have these different levels. So subsidiarity just kind of recognizes that there are different levels that we should have um, within our life. And when, when I'm saying these levels, lower than, lower than doesn't mean like better or less than, it means more kind of independent. Um, so it starts with a singular person. And then like, I look to my local, my neighborhood, and then the neighborhood looks to the government. So that's what it really means. There's a visual here in a little bit. So the principle of subsidiarity says, it let matters be handled at the lowest appropriate level with the higher levels helping only when needed, okay? 
the rule of thumb for subsidiarity in, in Catholic social teaching is if you can handle something, like there's a situation, handle it as small as possible, but as big as necessary. You need help, look to other people for help. Um, but they don't get to interfere with your choices and, and your rights, so to speak. All right, I guess this, um, when just looking in kind of a government structure, this is kind of what it means. Um, you as an individual, you can take care of stuff on your own. You have your own choices, you have your own rights. You should have the right to be able to take care of your stuff, okay? Then when you need help, you should be able, when necessary, to go up to say like, hey, I don't have the means to take care of this. Can you help me? Probably the best way. So um, when I was in college, uh, my engineering internship was with the city of Omaha um, in the transportation engineering department. I didn't know if I want to be transportation or structural, but then working for the government a little bit, it's like, I'll go do bridges. Because um, uh, you know speed bumps? You see, well, everyone knows speed bumps. You hate those things. Um, in Omaha, my job for the city was neighborhoods would petition I would check the signatures to make sure they're the homeowners. And if like certain percentage were the homeowners, I would go on that street and then I would hammer rubber tubes into the road with the, with the testing kit that would collect all the data. We would see how fast cars were going down that road. So if the speed limit was 35, um, that thing would collect data for a week. Next week, I pull the, pull the tubes off the road, take the data, and see like, oh, the average car is going 42 miles per hour. We can put in a speed bump. So we asked the people, they're like, yes, we want a speed bump. And so the city puts in a speed bump. So that was my job. My boss hated speed bumps. I hated speed bumps, but it was, we were part of the local government where we implemented speed bumps. So there's a couple in Omaha I know that were my fault and um, yeah. I mean, it's good memories, but but in the end, that that neighborhood didn't have the power to get enough asphalt together and to get a government sign that said bump. You know, you can't just put up a you know, you can't just pour home mixed asphalt and because that's just going to tear away. You have to connect it to the road. So and, and you can't put up just random signs because the government would be like, why are you putting up random signs and would take them down? So they. They couldn't take care of the speeding people, so they went up. The neighborhood went up. The local government then took care of it. So um, I haven't thought about those speed bumps in a while, so that was pretty interesting. Holy Spirit. Um, but that's probably the best example of subsidiarity. It's like the neighborhood was like, these people are going too fast. Yeah, there was one car that was like going 65 miles an hour at like 2 a.m., and so I was like, okay. Um, he threw off the curve, so he threw up the curve so much he was an outlier so it didn't get counted but he was like going over 60 but um but yeah so speed bumps so think about this like though with every aspect of taking care of of things you know your household deserves to have its own rights to take care of what happens in that household but then if something happens and it's like why well, need help that's why you call agencies to help you um, they can't handle it. You go up the chain. So this structure is is kind of established, um, yeah, as part of as part of social teaching. Every structure deserves rights, and every structure structure deserves to have help from someone above. Okay. Um, well, 
this is just kind of my own thing. Jesus helped people that he saw and encountered. He could have been like, hi, everybody, I'm Jesus, snapped finger, and like everything would have been taken care of on all levels. But what had happened was individuals came to him for help um, seeking him. And it was like through that faith, it's like, hi, I can't handle this on my own anymore. And that's when he responded to their faith. Like, do you think I can handle it for you? Yes. It's like acknowledging Jesus is God. And he's like, well, if you acknowledge that, I can help you. Um, so by having that that kind of uh, humility to say, like, I do need help. Um, so that's a good, maybe that's a good prayer for you tonight. Is like, if you're going to spiritualize subsidiarity, you just say, Lord, there's a lot of things I cannot take care of. So I'm just going to put them up to you. Um, so I'm going to call for help. You handle it the best way that you can, which is going to be best for me. Okay. Um, the reason I was going to hold off on the Mother Teresa quote is now. Mother Teresa, uh, she said in general, like if I would have tried to help the poor in general, she would have seen the number of poor and, and been overwhelmed and quit. So her main MO or the main way she operated was never, never like, I'm going to help the poor as a general term. No, she looked at individuals. If I look at the mass of people, I will never act. Why? Because you, if you just sit down and list how many people are homeless in Lincoln, Nebraska, uh, how many people go without food each night, if you look at all of that, you'll be like, I'm one person and I can't help. So Mother Teresa did. But if I look at the one, I will. Principle of subsidiarity. The individual that she could help was right in front of her, so she did. Okay. Um, Jesus said, love one another. He didn't say like fix the whole world. That's his job. So if you feel overwhelmed, like I want to help the poor, but there's too much and you want to quit, then your scope is too big. Just narrow it down to like who's in your life, um, on who to help. Okay. Even if you just pause, this is another good prayer. You know, Jesus, who do you want me to help? He can probably think of like two or three people right away. But we'll get to the point of like who is poor, um, and then maybe that's this prayer could be enlivened even more. So okay, there you go. Just hopefully that was a helpful kind of thinking. Um, subsidiarity also cries out to bigger authorities. So if you have a lot of money and a lot of means, you should look at subsidiarity like I have a responsibility to people who can't take care of themselves uh, to some degree. Be it financial stability, be it emotional stability, be it spiritual stability. If there's someone in your life who is like desperately lonely and, and you're like, and you're not feeling that because you have a good community and a good family, that person who feels desperately lonely, you have an avenue and a responsibility to help the other one. Okay. So these are all just school things, but, um, but in short, those three principles are kind of the main principles of, of Catholic social teaching. Again, you didn't hear like a program, like uh, once every two weeks, feed two poor people and then pay $30 of someone's rent. You didn't hear that tonight because we're not about inst instilling programs. We're instilling you and equipping you with ways to think about solidarity with other people human dignity and subsidiarity.
like in your own life. Um, so that's what we're, we're shooting for when it comes to Catholic social teaching. And if you feel a call, and we'll get to that kind of lastly, join a bigger group to make stuff happen. All right. Well, I'm going to check the random, or I'm going to check the anonymous questions. Okay. Nothing yet. I'll, I'll keep checking. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So if you couldn't hear that, the, um, this is the, this is why we read scripture because when you read scripture, it can mean something on so many different levels, but apply it to this social teaching. Uh, when Christ said, I thirst from the cross, um, you know, contextually, it could have mean, sure, he physically thirsts, but Mother Teresa, when meditating with that and her call in life was like, he actually thirsts for souls. That's what, that's what it was like to save people, to save souls. And she was, she took that to heart. Like if you thirst, I thirst. And so that's why she was eager, eager to go help dying people in the gutter. She was eager and she did it with a smile. Yeah. How often can we like not even look at some people and she looked at these people with a smile. Um, Little Sister of the Poor in Washington, D.C., they were amazing as well. Their job was just, they made sure that everyone, every homeless per person that they took in died with a sister holding their hand. Like, I can't even imagine, um, you know, it being 3 a.m. And it's like, I am tired. This person is still holding on, but I'm right there. with. But they would do it with a smile. So, yeah, that's why you meditate. Why could Mother Teresa do this as well was her daily holy hour, too. Like, she's kept close to Christ. What had happened was there was one sister who, um, so my spiritual director in seminary was actually kind of friends with Mother Teresa. Did I tell the, did I tell the orphanage story, Mother Teresa? Okay, this will all blend together as the years go on. But, um, so I was, uh, in seminary in 2012 and in my spiritual director's room, his name was Father Fred Miller, rest his soul. He did pass away, but, um, he was like, uh, in his cabinet, he needed something like adjusted, like his TV was that big CRT and it kind of twisted. So it's like, can you twist that back? He, he, um, didn't move very well. So went in and then kind of turned it and I like felt like a, a stack of papers. And so I grabbed them, they were a little dusty and, and I said, well, what are these? And so like this pile of papers, he's like, I was looking for those. So, um, he said, uh, those are letters from mother Teresa. <laughs> and I'm like, what <laughs> can I look at the, yes. Yeah. I read them. So I got to see her, her handwriting. Um, so father Miller, like gave, uh, retreats, you know, uh, spiritual retreats for them. And, um, which is amazing because you'd think Mother Teresa would give the retreat, right? But but she was so receptive to different um learn she was always learning. Anyway, so Father Father Miller, like at the end, like um, I keep wanting to say Mother Teresa, but yeah, Sister Teresa of Calcutta, Saint Teresa of Calcutta, um, whatever her name is, you know who it is, um, was just like so thankful to him. And then like that's when their relationship began of letter writing. But that visit, um, you know. Um, no, the second visit. So he comes back after taking a tour and they have an orphanage. They have the, the homeless shelter. They have all the stuff. And there was a, he's from New Jersey. There was a couple from New Jersey who wanted to adopt a baby from the orphanage where mother Teresa was. And so 
he's like, hey, how do we get that process started? Like, there's a couple in New Jersey who'd love to adopt one of the babies. And so Mother Teresa like, oh, yeah, we could do that. So opened the door and said, yeah, go ahead and pick one. And he was like, pick one? Um, she was just, I mean, very straightforward. She's like, oh, yeah, just pick one, and that'll be the one that gets adopted. Um, he kept trying to say, no, that is too much, way too much responsibility. But mother, she gets what she wants, and, and so he picked one. Um, the family adopted that baby. And um, so actually, that baby then, um, I forget where he is now, but two years ago, he was actually in the seminary for New Jersey. So he was studying for the priesthood. Um, but yeah, I'll just always remember that story of just like letters from Mother Teresa. And then she, he told the story about this baby that was just like, pick one. And I'm like, I don't know what I would, what would you have done? Like, I don't, yeah, I don't know what you would have done. But anyway, change that baby's life forever. Um, there you go. But she always did that holy hour, which led to another Mother Teresa story of, um, there was one sister who said, why do we do the holy hour in the morning? Like people are already lined up for, for help at like 7 a.m. And she was a novice, like not, not final professed, like, cause you can see the habits of mother Teresa. That's, that's her order. Um, you know, that the white with the blue stripes, that's how you could tell that that's her order. Every religious order has their own garb that you can identify them with. So that's, um, there. Um, so this novice who's like not final professed, not really in the order fully. She was just like, why, why don't we, why don't we just go out and start working right away in the morning rather than the holy hour? And, uh, what happened was the novice did it one time. She didn't go to holy hour. She just went out to go help the poor. And mother Teresa actually dismissed her from the order. Cause it's like, if you don't pray here, there's, there's something imbalanced. And, and it's kind of hard to hear with our modern ears. Like that, that novice was doing something good, but she didn't have the connection with Christ that it required to do this forever. Cause if you do stuff out of a sense of duty, like I have to, and this is right. One of the mornings you're going to wake up and not want to do it. But if you do it out of a sense of, I love this, it's going to recharge you anyway, random stories of mother Teresa, but you can't talk social teaching without, without her example. Here she, I don't know when she passed away some, so many years ago, but here we're still talking about her. So anyway, um, four key, four key principles that we'll just kind of go through quickly before we uh, kind of get things, um, four key principles about, um, what we strive for in social, uh, teaching, Catholic social teaching is a common good. Common good just kind of represents the sum total of conditions, which we allow people. We want individuals to thrive. We want people to be able to choose for themselves, take care of themselves. Sometimes they just need a little boost. Um, and so we want the common good. We want a society that helps people become independent, not people who are dependent upon others. So the common good, we want everyone to thrive, in other words. Our definition, our Christian definition of thrive is different from other people's. Um, but that's kind of the one to kind of go into. So if you have a catechism of the Catholic Church, 1906, um, 
we have that written. Oh, it's not written there. But 1906, go read more about what the common good means. I mentioned this a few times, preferential option for the poor. Catholic social teaching insists that society is evaluated based on how it treats those who are most vulnerable. I love that. that that's a great quote. We judge a society based on how they treat the most vulnerable. It quote, and Pope Francis says this, it quote, demands before all else an appreciation of the immense dignity of the poor. Because what's our knee-jerk reaction again is to just view the poor as addicts, as people who couldn't cut it. When, if you start talking to individuals, you'd see that sometimes it's just like you could be in that situation. You could listen to their story and be like, that could be me to some degree. So anyway, there's a preferential, there's a preference to be like, I want to show the, the poor that they have dignity. The universal destination of goods holds that the goods of creation are destined for the entire human race. Um, despite the hoarding and consumerism that we're all, I mean, we're all human. We all want to just kind of hoard. I was texting with a friend yesterday and he said um, he's watched all the episodes of Hoarders. Um, and I was like, uh, it's like over a decade, isn't it? Or 10 seasons or something. And he's like every one that he saw. Um, but anyway, yeah, but you just see hoarders and that's kind of a disproportionate thing of what I'm, what I'm getting at. But, but in short, um, well, I don't know why this got so hot all of a sudden. I accidentally touched the gain. Okay. Whatever. Um, universal destination of goods. There's, um yeah the rich you know when you have it's it's not condemning rich people what it's saying is that if you are rich you might have a call to help people more so you might have a call to set up endowments set up reoccurring things to help society in general okay and then lastly right to private property i know this sounds very weird but Private property is the idea of it really leans into the subsidiarity part. You have the right to own your stuff. You have the right that you can have a safe spot where you can call your own home, shelter, everything. You have rights to this. Pope Leo XIII, Catholic social teaching points out the private property is closely entwined with the dignity of work and, quote, the practice of all ages has consecrated the principle of private ownership, end quote. The right must be protected by our social institutions. Okay. So I wonder what happened here. Hmm. Interesting. There we go. Um, the reason Pope Leo XIII had to kind of write about this was um, the Industrial Revolution. I am terrible at history, so I at least know this much. Uh, the Industrial Revolution, like, really changed how employers looked at employees because machines were able to do a lot of stuff. You didn't need skilled people anymore. You could have unskilled people. So if there's an unskilled person working on this machine and they lost an arm, what they would do is like, well, we'll just fire you and replace you with someone else. Like you can't work as fast with one arm. So get out of here. So the industrial revolution led to a lot of beautiful advances in technology but it also led to sometimes treating people like cogs that you just kind of replace. 
Um, so that's when Pope Leo XIII had to kind of step in um, and kind of teach people the dignity of workers, the dignity of employers, and you both have a responsibility to each other. Um, so it's a very key principle to kind of think about. So if you're an employer, think about the dignity of your employees and what they deserve. If you're an employee, think about like, well, I signed a contract to give this amount of work, so I'm going to do that. Um, it's beautiful when sometimes I hear in confession like, yeah, there was a day of work where I gave little to no effort and the, and, and this person would know that it's sinful because it's like, I signed a contract, I will, I will give my employer this, and that day I just didn't. Um, so there is that dignity of both the employer needs to give to the employees and the employee needs to give to their employer. Um, and you can talk about uh, unjust conditions and all that, which is part of this, but, um, but yeah, so something to meditate on. Like, what did I sign up for my company? Um, I need to do that. So I, I don't know why this is freaking out tonight, but it's keeping things interesting at least. There you go. Okay, so lastly, I just wanted to talk about who are the poor. I'm going to look at our anonymous questions real quick. Nothing. Okay. Um, so who are the poor? So sometimes I kind of talk to people about, hey, you need to tithe. Um, I, I didn't really put it on here about tithing in general, but Tithing in scripture was always 10%. Why? Because if you give 10% of your income to charity, you're going to feel it and you're going to live differently. So you will live differently if you're giving 10%. Um, I had one young couple at St. Joe's when I was just ordained a priest and they, they had just had their second kid. They were just married, starting out in work. And they were like, um, well, right now, the way we bought a house and whatnot, we can't give 10. Can we start at two? And I was like, well, of course you can start at two. So it, people think it's either zero or 10. But honestly, like, if you are giving an honest look at your finances and say, like, yeah, we actually can give this. Um, the reason I'm saying this is not, not for, like, the church's gain, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, like, tell you why. Um, but I found that I was a lot more selfish when I wasn't tithing. Now that I tithe, and yes, even I tithe 10% of my uh, income, uh, because it changes and it makes me very aware of what things I can and can't do. I don't, I, I mean, I don't live extravagantly anyway. So say I had the 10%, it's not like I'll live extravagantly. Um, but now, like, I have to penny pinch and I have to be like, yeah, I can't do that. Um, and why can't I do that? Because I gave money to, the, to like, charities that I love. Um, I'm not digging this. Oh, I'll just yell for 10 minutes. Treat you like my juniors. Um, oh, maybe. Now I feel really quiet. <laughs> um, oh, I'll walk around, too. Maybe that'll help. But. Um, so 10% tithing is not something that, oh, is prescribed in the Bible. So now I have to do it. But I think I personally felt like a difference. There's a difference in my life now that it's like I'm tithing. 
And then you're like, well, why am I living this way? Oh, I'm living this way because I believe in God and other people need my help. So it's living out subsidiarity to give some sort of percentage to the poor. So again, people in church give either zero or 10%. Uh, it's, it's very interesting. But, but really, honestly, looking at your finances and saying like, I could give 1%, um, great. Uh, that's a wonderful start. This couple is now up to 10% and they have three more kids, and, uh, but they started at two. So the tithing and 10%, yes, it is scriptural, but um, I found a lot more, I don't know, it, Pope, John bon, Pope John Paul II put it best where you find yourself in gift of self. Like when you're giving of yourself, you might find yourself a little bit more. And I, and I think that's very true. So the tithing thing is like giving 10% is the ideal. But now let me talk about who is the poor. So do I give all of my 10% to this church? No, I actually tithe to different things. I tithe to two different focused missionaries. I tithe monthly to uh, that movement Eden Invitation, and I tithe to the parish. Like So my 10% is split out where my heart is called. So because for me, the poor, quote unquote, are those who need it. So let's talk about focus missionaries. Focus missionaries go to college campuses and talk to other college kids about Jesus. And from, I don't know if you know, Max and Molly are here in our parish. Um, yeah, if you could meet them, you could find out more about focus. So Max is a focus missionary and he'll go up to random college kids who have zero God or hate God or kind of know about God or love God. And he'll just randomly, if you know him, he will, he'll talk to anybody about God. So I didn't have that in college. And so my heart kind of goes out to the poor in spirit in college. And so I was like, I think they need more. So that's where a lot of my tithing will go is two focused missionaries. I actually taught both of them as juniors in high school. So that was really, that made me feel old that they graduated from college and are now going back to college as focused missionaries. But, and then Eden Invitation, the poor are those who, those Catholics and Christians who are same-sex attracted, but still believe Christ's teachings about marriage between man and one woman, but then they feel isolated and alone and no one is kind of giving them they, they feel uncomfortable talking to people. They feel still alone. And so I donate to Eden Invitation because the poor to me are those individuals who don't feel like they have community. But now Eden Invitation works to connect people in a wholesome way who want to follow Christ's way of life. Okay. Um, what I put up on here is embrace grace. I am out of money to <laughs> donate to them. Uh, so I'm out of 10% and I, um, out of justice, like I could, maybe I'll pray about that, um, but give more. But I wanted to read like a letter from Eden Invitation or from Embrace Grace. I'll try to hold this a little farther because this is worth, this one's worth it. So I got this uh, Embrace Grace is a ministry for single women who are younger and find themselves pregnant. And then all they are is they're invited to this church. There's like three or four group leaders uh, who are all women and they just celebrate, support, 
Um, throw them a baby shower here at the parish. That was cute. Uh, parishioners donated things, anything from like diapers to bottles, like parishioners donated a lot. And so their baby shower was actually very impressive. Um, but let me just read one letter from uh, Embrace Grace from one young woman. Before I began my journey through Embrace Grace, I knew of God, but didn't really know him. I grew up Catholic and was genuinely afraid to join this group due to my past experiences and feelings I had with the church. Being 22, pregnant, and now alone, I felt as if I had hit rock bottom and, the, and, and had no one to turn to. Through my pregnancy, I was given a, quote, love box, which is what Embrace Grace gives. I was given a love box, and I felt everything in my heart break. And I knew right then and there, it was God telling me he wanted me to come to him, so I did. I was so afraid to meet the leaders and step out of my comfort zone. But writing this today, I'm so grateful I did. Through my journey through Embrace Grace, I felt so much love and acceptance through the leaders and women around me. For the first time in my life, I've, I've actually felt unconditional love and no loneliness. I began to read my Bible and pray and meditate over certain verses that struck, struck me. I've never even thought about opening my, uh, opening my Bible before this. I reconnected with my mom and my sister and have learned to have a happy, healthy relationship with the both of them. Lastly, I have learned to love and forgive myself for my trials and tribulations. This group has done a truly amazing thing for me in my life and my journey. Thank you. So for the leaders of Embrace Grace, they saw that while we the church does talk about everyone has dignity and we are pro-life they saw like well where's the ministry to help these young women and then they're like let it be us and so um that's one example of people who said the poor to them were these young women and they felt a call do i donate to something it doesn't feel big enough and so they prayed about it they found this national uh, movement Embrace Grace and brought it to our parish. Our parish is the only parish in the Lincoln Diocese that has Embrace Grace. Last last session was three young women, and then I think this session they brought in two, and one returned from last year. So it's fun because like then they the ones who've graduated bring their babies, <laughs> and then it's like oh I've been here, and then so here are these scared young women like I'll be judged and this and that. And then it's like, oh, I was there. You know, someone can actually speak to them. I was there. So who is the poor? Search your own heart. Who are the people that you think like this should they should not be going through this alone? Is it people who are financially poor on the street? Praise God if that is. Are you called to donate to them? Um, our church, I've seen through our church, I've seen rent paid, electric bills paid, but also people who sit with me. And I don't give them money, but I give like the most isolated people an ear. I give the most like God just hates me or I'm shameful. People hope all because the parish exists here. So that's search your heart for like who is the poor that your heart goes out to and start tithing to them best you can. And that's taking care 
of human dignity, solidarity, and subsidiarity all in one. So search your heart, pray tonight, um, pray throughout this week, and search who are the poor that you are called to love and see dignity in. God bless you guys. Um, are there any last questions for anything? Yes. Yeah, sure. No one does anymore. It's all cards. Um, here's my rule of thumb. So when I taught juniors, they would always ask the same thing. And I would say, well, first of all, you have to make sure that you are safe. Um, you have to make sure that you are safe. Um, if this is something that you truly like feel, feel, what I would do is get gift cards to McDonald's and Subway. Uh, probably Subway. They can get like um, maybe some more vegetables or, or something. So what I would do if you're like, I keep seeing poor every day on my way to work. Um, I'm going to get this many Subway cards. And when they're gone for the month, that'll be my month. And so you did something that you planned. And when they're gone, you can tell you can just kind of say, like, I'm out this month. Like, I'll be next month. So. That's one thing is like, if you really do feel a call to do something, I would say do something with food specifically. Um, and, but yeah, make sure you're safe. I had this like 100 pound junior once and she was like, well, you know, like, I feel like we should do something. I was like, well, make sure that you're safe. Like there's people around, uh, things like that, just to be careful as well. But Food cards are really good. If they don't want food cards, that actually clues you in that that if they want money instead of food cards, that kind of clues you in that that you might not be the person to help that person, which is great. Um, but above all, I would actually ask their name and use their name a lot. That was one thing from the guy from Hawaii. He's like, I, I like it when people use my name, but but no one ever asks it. And um, so every time I meet someone, I'm like, what's your name? So if you can't give, that's what I would say. Get some food cards, some gift cards, $5, $10, whatever, um, and hand those out. And then when you're done for the month, because you budgeted it, right? Because it's like I tithed and I feel like my tithing this much can be food cards. When you're out, then you have a clear conscience. I gave what was asked to me and what is within my means and subsidiarity. That was in my means. I'm done. Clear conscience. And you can just say, I'm so sorry. I usually give out food cards. I'm out this month, but uh, you know, what's your name? Can I still pray for you? So at least spiritually get there or tell them about Catholic social services on O street. Um, there's food there as well. So name food cards. Um, and then that way you could feel like that way you no longer feel guilt because you've, you fulfilled your subsidiarity. If they need more than that, they have to go up to that level. That makes sense. Does that help? Yeah, you shouldn't, you shouldn't feel if you are tithing and say like my 10% is already gone. Like I specifically give to the St. Vincent de Paul society, like that money is gone, gone, then hand out cards to St. Vincent de Paul's number. Um, so yeah, I would say that that would be a good rule of thumb. Names, keep using names. Um, yeah, but be safe, be safe. I, there is some mental health issue for some, for some people. Um, as well. So great. That was a great question. I love that. Yes. Because I was there too. I was like, what do I do? And then a priest was like, gift cards, man. Oh, yeah. That's good. Any other questions about the poor? Embrace grace? Need an invitation? Anything else randomly? 
think so. All right. Well, how about we'll pray and then we'll send you in the mail. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, I ask you to send the Holy Spirit down upon these, your beloved. As the Holy Spirit enters their life, teach them to recognize in their heart who they consider the poor. Help them to see Christ in the poor. Help them to know that where they desire to help is their calling. So Jesus, as you gave us a way of life that that includes social teaching, give us the courage to live this out, to not only help those around us, but, but to help those that you have called us to. We ask all of this through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, God bless you guys. No class next week because the kids are on spring break and we'll be on spring break. But two weeks, do as best as you can to make it. The teaching mass, big, big deal.